We're going to, this is going to be a lighthearted podcast. There's no, we're yeah, not talking. It's not going to be very serious. Controversial things. Uh, oh, come on now. We got to talk <laughs> some controversial. Oh, like, I mean, we will. It comes up every time. Yes. But I was winking. <laughs> I did say, you know, maybe the next one we could just pick a light topic, you know. Like. That's what we're doing. We're talking to Kevin. Pause. I think you guys should take callers. I think this should be live, and I think you should take oh. callers. Oh. Well, a live there, call show? So I thought about that. There's an opportunity, like, uh, to do, like, a and a like, answer people's questions. Like, I, like, a couple hours before the podcast, I throw it on Instagram, like, we're going to answer questions. Oh. that come through and then we could live stream it like we could keep yeah, instagram live on like we did with the rocking horse we did right. that right but i wasn't paying attention to it but no. No. <laughs> i was i couldn't I was, figure out i was the moderator so you're fine <laughs> you might want to let horeb do that part and then yeah <laughs> we should we should <laughs> maybe the brains you could be the brawn personality uh, personality talent. yeah talent all the above <laughs> um well should we start this thing we haven't done this in a while, but I didn't, well, I, you guys have, I haven't, I got kicked off the last one. Yeah. So I was expecting you to come in real hot. I am coming in hot and heavy. Hit that intro button. There we go. Don't mess it up. It's been a while. Welcome to everything egg and then some. Presented by Kibble Equipment, a frequently fun, usually informative, and always tangent-filled look into the industry that feeds the world. From cutting-edge John Deere technology to the impact of social media on the agriculture industry, no topic is off-topic. Round of applause. That was pretty good. Hold on. I can do that. No, nope, wrong one. There you go. Round of applause. Good job. Good job. 10 out of 10. Feels kind of narcissistic to play a button for myself, but uh, I'll take it. So the podcast is back. We're back home. Like we said, we got a, we got a lighthearted episode. Nothing's controversial. We're not going to touch on anything that's touchy. Yeah, right. (laughs) We're not going to touch on the touchy stuff. (laughs) Everything's touchy. We will. We got the regular crew back. So it's me, Kibble Man, Sam, you. The other Sam, finally back. I thought you were the other Kibble Sam. Other Kibble Sam, same difference, whatever. You can be whoever you want to be, buddy. And... I'm not saying it. You know, you're <laughs> the boss, boss man. <laughs> Sam, Sam, and Chris are back. We also have a special guest, Kevin Popple. He's a customer to Kibble. You are uh, a man with uh, a lot of ventures. Uh, Kevin's been uh, a friend and a customer of ours. Uh, we think your story's pretty unique, and so we thought. <laughs> Let's have Kevin on, learn a little bit more about uh, his agriculture ventures, including farming and your operation, who you are, and share that with our listeners. And uh, we'll talk about some other stuff too. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That was the best leading I could do. Yeah, but T for time, it was Chris's birthday, Monday. You're yeah. 27? It was Monday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Monday. Mean, you know you don't I, look a day over 28. No, <laughs> no thanks. You know what, I, know what I texted him? I go, hey, happy birthday, boss man. <laughs> Just did a little, just a little poke. I just sent him uh, a picture of the uh, wrestlers, the Killer Bees. Remember the Killer Bees tag team duo? Oh, yeah. It just says "Happy Birthday." Hope you have a killer birthday. <laughs> Hiller and I were on vacation, and she asked what I wanted. She, we don't give each other gifts, but. But she said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, uh, can you manage my Facebook today? That'd be fantastic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> just that, that constant that weird happy thing. Birthdays. You got you to say happy birthday and people get, and then you got to like it. Mm-hmm. You got to say thank no. you. Thank you. I got a birthday present for you in the works. Well, you've got to get a lot of people birthday presents, unfortunately. Why? You're a man about town. Man about town? Yeah. No. 
I keep to myself. Uh, that's not what I hear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My sources say otherwise. So since it's Valentine's Day, I, I mean, do you have a special Valentine? Absolutely Sam? not. L- little Sam? No, no, absolutely. No? I'm going to go home. I don't know. I To myself. I don't know. I've been hearing rumors. It. Well, we'll see what happens. Okay. He's going to snuggle up next to a bush light. <laughs> <laughs> or that's safe. 16. <laughs> that's safe. Oh, and, it's easier that way. And just curl up in the fetal position of sadness. <laughs> just sit by my fireplace by myself. I don't have a Valentine. <laughs> All right, let's Sorry, get that on, took a turn. Yeah, I'll say let's get on topic here. Well, let's stop talking. Heart, lighthearted. Stop talking about my love life and let's get to. Well, that was a short conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Not much to speak of. Uh, so, Kevin Popple, why don't you give us a little background on yourself? Kind of how you got into the industry, how you got to kind of the point your your farm and your egg ventures are at now. Yeah, and we'll just interrupt you along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> Man, grew up. I grew up on a farm, Northwest Minnesota in the Red River Valley. Sugar beets, some hogs on the farm. Went to college for egg. Didn't really have a chance to go back to the farm, and kind of decided, you know what? Let's be an agronomist. Worked a lot with precision agriculture. It's actually where I met Chris. Yeah, it's the small world, right? Oh man! So that was like 2005-ish. What, what was the name of that co-op again? It was uh, Triangle Egg. Triangle Egg. Yeah, Triangle Egg. So, you so know, it's, not to interrupt, but it's weird. So, but back. The reason we met, it says you're trying to pull off prescriptions on John Deere 1900 carts. On a brown box. On a brown box. Yep. Dual display brown boxes. Yeah. We're they talking were dual display. the original extended monitor. Yeah. And the... Uh, That's like having a Casio calculator watch <laughs> on both wrists. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you're right. It is. And the complaint was, the issue was by the time that electric stepper motor or whatever that was would change the rate on the yeah, it was a uh, screw it was a screw yeah and by the time it would the rate would be attained it was time to change the rate again <laughs> so that thing just went up and down yeah. and up and down and up and down we yeah we met when i was there mm-hmm. and then we did some drainage stuff together too a couple yeah. years after yep, that service water pro mm-hmm. um, we worked with that and how my role changed a little bit you know, started out as a sales agronomist and then did the precision egg and then kind of tried to do like business development stuff, different stuff that a co-op wouldn't normally do, like surface drainage or banding fertilizer and doing things like that. So I kind of, you know, have that love for farming, you know, just didn't have my own farm. So we kind of did it, you know, through that co-op. A few years later, I got a job with Mosaic Crop Nutrition and worked as an agronomist for them for several years and traveled the Western United States and a little bit in Western Canada. So I got to see a lot of different things. And it kind of makes you realize that Canada's you know, weird. <laughs> Canada's awesome. Shout out, shout out yeah. to Andy. Like, I mean, I love Canada. Like if I was going to move somewhere, it would be Western Canada. No question. I know your face is totally stuck. to go to BC. It's awesome. Like the people are so nice. Why wouldn't you want to live there? That's true. Right. And they're easy to understand. Very, un- they enunciate the hell out of words. I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> you know, I mean, you kind of sound like you're Canadian, Sam. I do my best. Yeah. I just right? try to make sure I'm not, I'm indistinguishable. It's sort yeah. of a chameleon accent. <laughs> yeah. Is he Canadian or is he like from Ohio? I don't, I don't know. know. Either way. I think it depends on what you're talking about, you know? It's true. Or how much I've been drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Which is always hard to tell. Like right now, I can't really tell. Like, have you been drinking? Have you not? I just showed up. Nobody right knows. after lunch. So it's hard to say. Three martini lunch. <laughs> <laughs> but in Canada, like. A lunch beer is 
it's okay. Yeah. Oh, like that's well. totally acceptable. And we didn't do much business without drinking at the same time. Oh, that's not how you're supposed to do business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so isn't mosaic, uh, aren't in a lot of the, the mines yeah. in Canada, right? Yeah. The, you know, a lot of the potash comes from the mosaic company comes, you know, in from Western Canada and there's other companies up there as well, but yeah, that's a, one of their primary businesses is there. And then the rest of it is in Florida. And that's where the phosphate comes from. So can you get phosphate from cigarette ashes? No. <laughs> no. I thought that was the only export from Florida. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe back in the day, there was a lot of people smoking and that turned into that. Yeah, True. I think maybe not. I mean, oh. Your theory might be right. It's I, hard I, to say. Tough. I've heard both ways. <laughs> so worked there, um, got to see a lot of different farming practices, then actually came to work in this particular building. My office was the office, office that you're in right yep. now and worked here for a couple of years um, for my uncle Mike Veldman who had Egg Power Enterprises. Hated it. <laughs> Lo- hey, loved it. Like got to learn that part of the business. Yeah. Um, the equipment world is it's a wild business as far as profitability as far I mean there's so many things that go into it as a farmer that you just wouldn't think. You just wouldn't think that there's so many moving parts in the background of a business like this. You know, you, you walk in and it's like, okay, there's parts, service and sales, but there's so much that goes on, goes on in the background. And it makes me appreciate more, you know, when someone, someone gives you an answer, you don't want to hear. It's like, okay, I, I think I can understand that. Right. And I think that's one of the things before I started farming, it was awesome to go out and work for other people and see some of the struggles that other farmers had and see some of the struggles that the businesses had in the background, because it just gave me a different perspective. And I think oftentimes, you know, it's easy to lose that perspective, but man, it's, it served us really well in, you know, creating, you know, a custom application business and, and creating our farm, which by the way, we, we start, we're first generation. So there's, you know, it's a little bit different uh, than, than a lot of people. But we've made it work and, and the custom business actually is, is really what kind of keeps us afloat because as everyone knows, you just can't start farming. It just doesn't work. Not, a, not on a large scale anyway. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah. So you say first generation farmer, you didn't, you know, there wasn't any handing off of equipment or land, right? Uh, no. So, so and people say farming so expensive. There's no way anybody can start out as a first generation farmer anymore. It's just, it's not a, it just can't be a thing like, but you've done it. How? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes I, I wonder actually, but, um, so, so backing up just a little bit, uh, when I worked for Mosaic, uh, had a family member that I, that I helped in Southern Minnesota, they were nearing, you know, the retirement age and that type of thing, you know, so helped out. But oftentimes now when farmers retire, they, they have to sell everything in order to retire. They can't just hand it off. Right. So granted, if, if I was their child or, or something, it might've been different, but you know, that's kind of how we got to start. Had a family member that, that had a farm, they wanted to retire, sold us their line of equipment, rented us their land and the rest is history. So how we did it, we started a custom business because the equipment that, that he had that I bought from him was pretty expensive, right? And we needed to learn how to fully utilize that equipment. I think that was our biggest takeaway after the first year is, yeah, it's great to have, you know, this beautiful tractor, but what are we going to do with it? The first purchase I made to kind of start making up that deficit, you know, from the losses that we had the first year was a sprayer. 
it was the easiest way for us to get into the custom business yep. and probably the most profitable, at least at that time. That's kind of how we got started with it all. So obviously you need to know people first. And, you know, in, in this case, it was a, it was a family member and, you know, people always ask, well, geez, you know, I was a family member. So you're really not first generation. I said, yeah, but I had to buy them out. Like it wasn't like it was a, here, I'm just going to pass this on to you. So and it was a one fell swoop situation. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to start buying a tractor and then I'll maybe buy 10 acres and 40 acres. And, you know, the transition plan that we're used to, this is like, oh, bam, now I'm a farmer. And what's super cool as well about this, um, there's another gentleman in my operation. That's a first generation farmer that started farming just last year. And you know, it's just been such a joy because we're, we, we're going through a lot of the same things, you know, I'm going, or he's going through a lot of the same things I went through initially. We work together. And so it, it's just, it's such a great combination, but it's, it's super refreshing for me to work with someone that you just have to make it work, you know, and oftentimes there's, you know, multi-generational farms, it's still a lot of work and it's still a lot of debt, but it's a different set of issues when you're gen one, because you just have nothing to lean back on. Well, and when one thing about you being a first generation farmer, you've generally been pretty innovative and open to new ideas, ways of doing things when you're not kind of stuck in a certain mindset or that's the way daddy did it kind of thing. I mean, I think it <laughs> opens you up to be, uh, you know, a little more innovative. One example, I moved down to this to Southeast Minnesota in like 2012 and I was driving around Southern Minnesota and I, there's a, 1910 air cart over there and i almost broke my neck i'm like you don't see those in southern minnesota and it was you yeah, who's the idiot that bought that <laughs> yeah because yeah. that, that's where you got into uh custom seating peas right for yes. the for the candy company yeah, so that's yeah for bird's eye yeah. Yeah. yeah yep yeah with a 1910 air cart and uh, yeah the only one in the area yeah i mean serves its purpose we were used to using them but yeah totally different than you know, most guys that do it use a CCS planner or a CCS air seeder. I just looked at it and said, I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to fill every 20 acres because I'm kind of by myself when I started this. I have to be able to seed 60 acres. So we're going to equip this thing with variable rate, whatever we need to do so that it's easy. And I Three think that's brown boxes. Four. <laughs> two on each side. So yeah, like Sam, you were, you were talking about that. It's like, for me, I just don't have a choice. If I don't keep up with the way farming is going, I probably will get left behind because I just don't have the backup plan there. I either win or lose. And I think technology is the only thing that will keep me in business. So for me, it's, I think you just have to be first and you have to take it on the chin a couple of times, even if things don't work the way you need them to. And most of the time you, in our case, at least you're more profitable or in my case with young kids, I'm home more or yep. able to be home more. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about the air seeder. You do, you have some ground down in Iowa, right? So we don't have ground down in Iowa ourselves that, that we rent. But you do seeding down there. We do. We do. Yes. Um, so How do you get that crap all the way down there. Drive it. Just straight, just wrote it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, people, people <laughs> are like, Hey, listen, that, that doesn't work. That's too far away. I'm like, okay, but you've got a 1910 air card. You got an 1890 air seater, a tractor, a roller, another tractor, a semi, a service truck, all the stuff that you need. You have five loads that you got to bring back and forth. What does that actually cost? Way more than just driving it down there and driving it home. It's an eight hour drive in a tractor. No big deal. Hmm. 
you know, Iowa roads are a little sketchy yeah. where we go down there. <laughs> but just, just take 35. <laughs> oh, man. I wish. I, I remember pulling up your op center count for the first time. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell's going on in Des Moines? This <laughs> 20 acre patch in the middle of a development. Oh man. I, yeah. I tell you what, but what a great opportunity. So it's funny and it's a small world, right? So, so this had everything to do with Sam's dad, right? So, and happy retirement to your dad, by the way. Yeah. Props to G- Gary. I'll listen to this too. So oh, awesome. So I walked into this store one day and one of your salespeople said, hey, you don't know anybody that you know, would be interested in seeding peas for the canning company around here. And I'm like, I thought about it for a little bit. And I'm like, I don't know anything about that. I, I don't really know. And I was here getting parts and I started thinking, I'm like, hold on, I better ask more questions about this, right? Because we're always looking for innovative ways to separate ourselves from mm-hmm. others and to pay bills, you know? Right. So I went and, and talked to the salesman. I said, you know what? I might be interested in that. Who do I need to talk to? He gave me Gary's number. I called Gary. Gary said, hey, listen, put together a bid. I'm like, okay, well, let me, let me get, you know, get back to the drive. And thankfully, he, he obviously helped us out a lot because the guy that had been historically seeding uh, for the canning company had done it for years and was very comfortable and was, you know, a friend of the company and so it's something I'm sure they're like, oh, great, we got to train this guy how to do it. But it wasn't until the second year that we, second or third year we seeded uh, for them that they started their venture down in Iowa. And they called me one day and said, hey, are you interested in seeding some peas down south of Des Moines? And I just laughed. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, yeah, okay, sure. They're like, no, really, we want to start our season earlier mm-hmm. and heat units are completely different down there. Yeah, okay. it's, it's legitimately two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, so you look at it and it's like, we're going down there in March, the machinery's sitting around here. We're not, we're not using it. Why not? So we do the math, try to figure out what it costs us. And we ended up going down there. Now this will be the first year that we haven't gone down there in several years, you know, just due to some, some changes that they're, you know, that they're making, but I see us being down there again in the future. And it's just kind of a neat, you know, you yeah. make a lot of neat mm-hmm. contacts down there. Des Moines lovely this time of year. <laughs> it really is. I mean, when people say, are you going south this year? <laughs> yeah. Des Moines. I'm going to go to Des Moines in a tractor <laughs> and plant in the middle of Des Moines because yep. that's just where peas go. Yeah. It's actually Des Moines kind of weird like that. Like it'll be like, you know, right by Jordan Creek Mall. Like I've done field visits across the road from one of the biggest malls in the Midwest, like right across the street. <laughs> now, let me tell you how much garbage you got to deal with. Oh my <laughs> lord! Oh. Yeah, you're not digging mud out of the air seeder at that point. You're digging Beer garbage, can, box of diapers. Oh. Yes, used diapers. Oh my god! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, have to get some furrow vision on that. Oh Ooh. boy. <laughs> yeah, you is, can dissect does, that one. Does that count as organic matter as a dirty diaper? Or yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going down a path now. Oh boy. Uh, oh boy. No, but it was hilarious when it was because you're like, yeah, I'm going to be gone. We're going to go down to Des Moines last spring. And I was like, I'm just going to watch him for a little while. And I saw you leave the house and just slowly start working your way down. And you could just see all the pieces of equipment going down there. I was like, that's a haul. Yeah. It has to be just a grueling day. Well, I, I didn't realize you were doing this and you had brought it up. Like there was a sense of urgency around some question that you had. I can't remember. Like, oh yeah. I'm like, why is he, it's March. Like, why is he never, then like, oh. Well, that's yeah. the nice part. We get a lot of the bugs worked out 
down there if there is any sure. and you come back up here and you're you know ready to go everyone's just kind of ready to go and it just it worked out really good and that's just one example of you know just thinking outside the box a little bit right like when i talked to your dad about it the first time and i laughed he's like yeah but i mean we do it and we've we've picked sweet corn down there for years and it's worked out really well because the timing is you know, it doesn't overlap. Yep. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with our business is that we're heavy agriculture. And we do a little bit of excavating in the background, you know, for friends and, and family and that type of thing. But everything that we do has an overlap time period that always gets a little sticky. Well, this might be the year though, that yeah. they, that they probably are going to be a tighter overlap with yes. uh, El Nino which if you don't speak Spanish is Spanish for the <laughs> Nino. <laughs> uh, When's Farley that coming joke. in, Sam? Like, I want to know what you know, cause uh, I, I'm just kind of like, wait, we're dry and yeah. we should maybe start planting soybeans tomorrow. I know. And it's actually, they probably still got snow down in Iowa. Like they got way more snow than we did up here. So yeah. I was still in seed. I'd be like, Hey, let's set this thing for three inches and let's put some corn in the ground and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, corn's cheap right now. <laughs> oh, it's only five hundred dollars a bag. It's stored in the freezer anyway. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Sitting in a cold shed, why not put it in the ground? Yeah, yeah. Same difference. Hmm. Nothing could go wrong. We should have a plan already by next week. Maybe we'll try that out. It'd be fun. Yeah, just a test and tune day. See what happens. Be all right. <laughs> or hour maybe, not a day. <laughs> that exact number. Might as well. So you also do strip tailing, which, I mean, it's not super. It's not like a 1910 air cart, uncommon. But you could call Kevin a big stripper. Big, big stripper. Big, big stripper. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jinx. How did you, how did you make the decision though, to get into strip tilling? Like from maybe you didn't have a long history of conventional till that you had to overcome. So first of all, I'll say that strip till is not the only way to farm. There's nothing that irritates me more than watching a video where someone's like, if you don't do this, you're not farming. Right. Cause Let's be honest. There's a hundred different ways to skin that cat. That's the, the strip tillers are pretty open. The no tillers are. Where oh yeah. No till and cover crop. <laughs> yep. If so, you till the soil, you're the devil. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but you know what? If it works for them. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't care. That's, that's great. So for me, it was banding fertilizer. So the first, second year I farmed, um, well, let me back up. The first year I farmed, had the co-op spread the fertilizer. Um, I did my own spraying, but they did some for me as well. You know, some pre-emerge stuff when I was planting and I didn't farm all that much, but, um, I was still working a full-time job. So you, you know, you just kind of have to fill in the gaps a little bit. And I looked at what it cost me to hire somebody to do something that I could do myself. And you start thinking about it and doing the math and you realize really fast that, okay, I need to make some changes here if I'm going to be sustainable. And so do you think you live the Dwight Schrute mentality where you don't pay anyone to do anything that you could do yourself, but he pays his proctologist extremely well. <laughs> That's probably where I would draw the same line. Yeah. Or like urology. Like I think, yeah, some, there's some parallels, right? He's got glasses. He's tall. Like He's a super smart guy. Right. I mean, <laughs> all the chi all the chicks dig him, you know. Big Battlestar Galactica fan. Uh, yeah. That that you know, yeah, we draw the line there. <laughs> so you look at what it costs 
you read all these articles and the bankers always say the, the first thing you can do to make yourself money is buy a sprayer. And I think they're right. So we looked at it the same way with dry fertilizer. And with my fertilizer background, I saw a lot of data in many different areas that would prove that you really should ban fertilizer if you want it to be the most efficient. Yep. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that's the only way to do it because it's time consuming. Right. Mm-hmm. It's hard to scale, especially with the, you know, with the size of farms as we, as we all grow, it's, it is hard to scale, but I would, I did regular tillage and then I would go in and just ban my fertilizer. Well, then I look at my break evens thinking I own a ripper, I own a vertical tillage and I own this applicator. Maybe I should try strip till because then I cut out three to four passes. Right. And corn on corn was a big deal to me because when I started farming, corn was three dollars three dollars and 25 cents so everything that we could cut out was great and beans were eight you know it made sense for the ground that i farmed to just continually raise corn so how do you do that a lot of guys around me were mallboard plowing in order to do that yeah i didn't really want to do that i love driving tractor but i just don't love plowing so well it's a good thing you say that because now we don't make the plow anymore so we don't have to worry about you know but kevin we're trying to sell plows over here yeah (laughs) so then we went to full strip till there was a guy um works for yetter actually his name's andy thompson i don't know if i've heard the name if if you know andy but met him at a farm show and he was just a wealth of knowledge in strip till and he just said to me if you're going to do this you need to sell all of your other tillage equipment because you will be tempted to use it if you have it if you're going to make strip till work, you just need to sell your digger, uh, field cultivator, sorry. For those of you not in the rural area yeah. around <laughs> us. Yeah. Right, but hey, Duggo, he, Duggo calls it a digger still, yeah. and he's a cool guy, like yeah. people like him. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I've always said it's like I-90 and I-94 and 35. You get up and like I-29. If you create that, whatever geometric shape that is, that's where digger is a digger. Outside of that, it's a field cultivator. Right. For the most part. Yeah, well, it's a digger. But yep. anyway. Yeah. So we, he was basically could. saying, wasn't it Cortez that, you know, burned the ships to motivate his men? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's essentially what he said. He said, wow, that was a deep history poll there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> then was. they all died. <laughs> <laughs> they did. That was, but that was our new segment called Obscure History Analogies with Chris. <laughs> but they all died. In our case, we didn't die, yet. thankfully. Yet. Yet. And we... <laughs> yet. Saying? Jeez, that's that a, morbid. This podcast might El Nino's out. coming. Like, yeah, we're all going to die. We're all going to know. So we switched to strip till. And I sold... Every, I sold the Ripper, the field cultivator digger whatever sold all the stuff that i could go out and ruin this with bought a strip till machine learned after the first year that i actually needed to freshen my strips so i bought a strip freshener and now we kind of just have a a system that works for us again not saying that everybody should do it that way but for us we're able to band all of our nutrients and that's just been a huge win for us even even right down to the nitrogen and sulfur you know we band with a strip freshener in the spring and our efficiency is has just gotten better yep and technology is you know really landed to that we, yeah. we couldn't do it without the auto steer we couldn't do it without the ray controllers without you know auto path and all the things that just make it a lot easier mm-hmm. you know my dad has kept up very well with technology but auto path has been like a game changer for him you can just pull into the field and just go 
there is no, oh, which line should I choose? Right. You know, so that's a big deal. There's been so many changes, mm-hmm. although small, make a huge impact with with the way we farm. It's been pretty fun. Yeah. We also did a uh, planter demo because you were big on precision planting. Mm-hmm. We don't need to talk about them too much, but we did, uh, <laughs> we called it a lead demo, but we had a, a deer exact emerge, exact rate, 1775 NT. So what were your, what were your thoughts on that? Oh man. You know what? Initially it was a little bit daunting because I have ran precision planting ever since the first year I farmed. So you get used to one thing and you kind of just want to keep using it. Just like you said earlier, it kind of gets ingrained in you where precision planting is the only way to do it. Right. But I think to be fair, like they were way ahead of, because you had a deer bar basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, they were the only ones that had that individual upgrade setup system mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so that's a lot of years how many years we're using the speed tube and the let's see speed tube six years um we the first thing that we bought when we started farming was a different planter and we upgraded um at that time it had airbags and we did up and down airbags because we farmed a lot of peat ground peat, yep and it was just but when we switched to strip tills when we realized we really need to probably have hydraulic downforce that adjusts a little bit faster. And then as we added speed and other things, it was, it was just necessary. I thought to, you know, to upgrade the planner because that's your, that's your first pass, right? Yep. And your most important pass. So that's why part of you were apprehensive to make a change in that important pass. Yeah. You guys watch the Super Bowl this weekend? Yeah. Hmm. My favorite commercial is the Reese's peanut butter cup. Did you? Oh yeah. It's like, <laughs> we're cha- making big changes to the Reese's peanut butter. <laughs> no. Yes. Guy dives out the window. Oh, those <laughs> his head through the wall. One guy dumps his head in a bucket of chili. Yep. Yes. <laughs> the, you know what? There was some good commercials. My favorite one. I mean, hail to the farmer. He's raising couch potatoes. Like that's something I can raise. That was funny. I could raise couch potatoes. Like I kind of am. My kids are kind of couch <laughs> potatoes occasionally. Got a good crop coming. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, getting back to the planner, <laughs> you guys brought the planner out and I was pretty apprehensive. I think it was, it was more of a, Hey, we've got a great relationship. You brought me a great opportunity to, to test this, right. And do some agronomic demos. And I think that was actually the game changer for me. Had you just brought it out and said, Hey, I want you to run this for a half a day. It wouldn't have done much for me. I don't think because you were willing to say, Hey, you need to prove it. And you did. I could see it all year long. I'll be honest. I just don't think there's any difference between the two. I really don't. I think from my standpoint, from our standpoint, we're gonna, we have switched to deer now and we're going to stay that way just for ease of use. Yeah. All the technology comes with it. You plug everything into the ISO bus and it just turns on and it works. It was, it was a lot of fun once we got past the first four hours. I think the first, you know, the first few rounds were just a little rough because you know that, you know, we feel like we know the John Deere controllers pretty well, but just understanding the planter itself and how it works Mm -hmm. was the challenge. Mm -hmm. And once we got comfortable with that, it was great. And I, and I think yield wise, you know, again, they were neck and neck. So for us, instead of converting files and trying to write prescriptions to a foreign controller, it's just going to be so much easier just to push them out. It made my life a lot easier. This spring is going to be so much better than last spring. Yes. (laughs) Because last spring I was on the phone with you. Pertinier every day. Yeah. But which I have no problem with because 
that's my job. But yeah, this year's going to be a whole different ball game now. And you mentioned AutoPath too. That's got to be the most customers we have that had challenges where their AutoPath files didn't record properly is where we had to do workarounds to make them work for non-deer planters. planters. And with the deer planter, it's just going to work. When I came out there and I asked you, first thing you said, when I asked, how's it going? You're like, I love it. It just works. That's my best feedback. <laughs> it just works. It doesn't. I'm not against precision planting, by the way. Like yeah, for absolutely me, not. precision planting has a phenomenal product. I have and had a phenomenal dealer. And so I have nothing bad to say at all. The reason we're making the change is to keep everything John Deere centric. It's, it, it's nothing more than that for me. I don't think Deere or Precision has a better platform. I, I just think that it's gonna be seamless versus having to do all these conversions to get what we want. Yeah. That's yep. really what it boils yep. down to. It's, to all, it's all one spot, call one person. So Deere wins, it. right? Yep. We always say that they don't play well with others because they, they try to get us to just buy their stuff and they win. Like, <laughs> I give up, we're not doing it anymore. <laughs> You want to talk about seven thousands? Yes. Let's talk about. Let's RTK. talk about RTK quick. Let's talk we about were, RTK. Let's talk about. I thought we were going to have a really lighthearted. No, we got to talk about the elephant in the room. Non-controversial. Okay. We have to. Well, we talked about the big stripper in the room earlier. Yeah, that's now non-controversial. Well, <laughs> we all agree on that. Okay, so I get I get questions from some of the guys that we custom strip till for. So what are you know what are you using for RTK? And I said, well. We're really not. We are. We're using SFRTK, but I don't really consider that RTK anymore. And you can correct me, Chris, because it, it is RTK. But in my world, it isn't because my world RTK is switching towers, making sure you're on the right tower, making sure that the tower hasn't moved, making sure that your repeatability is actually there and that you don't have to shift. And I really didn't have a flawless experience with RTK when we did it because we started out that way. And that was before SF3 because mm-hmm. SF2 just didn't really do it. Right. Mm-hmm. SF3 did. Yep. When SF3 came out, RTK went away. Yeah. You, you switched, you originally switched to SF3. Yes. Yeah. Because you had the big geography you were covering. It and, only made sense. Yeah. Like I totally understand why, why John Deere is going the way that they're going. And I think that's forcing, I don't want to say forcing, but I think it's it's an opportunity for the dealers to upgrade what they're doing. Well, what's the accuracy difference, horizontal accuracy difference between SF3 and RTK? So 6,000s pass to pass is 1.2. In SF3? In SF3 mode. On and, a 6,000, okay. Yep, and uh, 7,000 is one. So they're basically the same. Yep. But it's that repeatability, repeatability year over year. And so that's that's something in the, in the chats or the chat section, the comment section, comment section, yeah, chat section. I answered one of those where a guy asked if you could do SF3 with strip till. And I said, yeah, you got nine, nine month guaranteed repeatability. Yeah. And, and this is where it gets fuzzy when deer announced the 7,000 with SFRTK was advertised as five years. And that's since gone away. Mm -hmm. Now just because deer is very, very conservative when they, when they advertise accuracies on Starfire. So now they've got multiple enough years of testing to say, Hey, as long as we're not in a place where we're going to have an earthquake and the tectonic Tectonic plates plates are going to move, we're going to be fine. 
multiple beyond five years repeatability. Speaking of though, I saw something in like Africa where there's like this giant crevasse opening up over the past like 15 years. It's like a canyon now. Yeah. So if we get a call from there. Yeah. Over there, we're probably in trouble. (laughs) You know what? If we start seeding peas down there, we might have to do something (laughs) with RTK. Are you going to Oregon trail them over there across the Atlantic? (laughs) Yes. What what is that called? You cock the wagon and ford the river or whatever? Yeah, we're going to ford the river. And then somebody's going to get diphtheria. (laughs) Yeah. Here lies butt face. (laughs) Oh, on my old Apple computer. Green screen. Oh, Everybody in my family on Oregon Trail was uh, lewd names. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the fun part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but, so strip till, right? So everyone says, "Well, you got to be using RTK," and I just said, I, "We just can't because you're you're going too far out of the boundaries of those towers. Those towers. It just didn't work." And then trying to remember them. Oh shoot, I forgot my piece of paper. Let me call Sam and see what the you know what the code is. And obviously, that's all updated you know, and, and it's a lot easier than it used to be, but man, the 7,000s just work. Just like I said about that planner, they just yep. work. You plug them in and they just work. You go back to the field the next, the next year, you drive into the field, it just works. You know, if, if you have to go, if I have to go and tell my dad, Hey, you need to switch to this tower. And then here's your list of lines that we're going to use he says, you know what? I think I'm going to go fishing today. <laughs> We've got 7,000s now, and I'm just like, all right, Dad, go to the field. Your auto path lines are going to pull up. <laughs> yeah. Pull the repeatability is great. Set the machine down and just go. He's like, oh, okay, that'll be, that'll be a fun day. Mm-hmm. It's easy. Yep. Because, yeah, you're So right. you're not a base station RTK loyalist. Uh, you know, but I, I totally understand why, why they were needed. I grew up in an area with sugar beets. They totally made sense there. Still does. Yeah. But now after strip tilling with, with a 7,000, I just, I don't know why you would make that investment. Now, if you've made the investment already, I get it. But most guys made the investment at a 6,000 trade that sucker in and for a 7,500 and call it good. It will, it will, it will just be easier. And the accuracy is just as good. So, well, so, and then might as well provide some context. So we sent out the, an announcement. Chris wrote a letter. A nice, it was a nice well letter. thought out letter. It yep. was a good letter. That Kibble is going to be phasing out of our RTK Tower base station network as of January 1st, 2026. I had a guy in the comment section said, I guarantee, I bet they're going to make it last longer than that. And I said, I will take that bet. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't mean to sound callous. I like for people that just went out and bought a couple six thousands and they bought the RTK activation and they bought the radios and all that stuff brand new and spent, I don't know, 11,000 something on per receiver on that stuff. And then they find out that we're in the next two years going to phase out of that technology. Like I guess I'd be mad too. Like I, that's, that's worst case scenario for us really, honestly. But there's operations where it's like, well, you're making all this technology obsolete. That's, you know, that's the comment we got. Well, it's just a money grab. Well, it's, so first thing, yeah, yeah, Sam shakes his head. So first thing, like the technology is not obsolete. You can still have your own base station. It's just, we're going to eventually with all the people that have transferred over to 7,000s already. And then the fact that all brand new machinery that comes out of the factory from Waterloo on tractors, sprayers, combines, they're all coming with 7,000s. So any operation that's getting new equipment, well, they're 
incentivize them to switch over. And so we're going to lose just gobs of receivers. And we're already at the point where there's towers that we're maintaining that have like one user or none. And so and we're that, just going to get was to the pre, point. Pre-letter. Even. That was yeah. pre-letter. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at what it costs to maintain a base station. Well, if you just look at the comments that, section. I was just going to bring that they up. They think that, there's no cost because you own the equipment already. I'm going to be uh, very frank. I'll put it in nice terms, but it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Cause yeah, there's like three or four comments on both t- Instagram and TikTok. They're like, towers are easy to maintain this and that and all that. I'm like, <laughs> do you have one? <laughs> do you have, first of all, do you have one? Second of all, have you ever climbed a grain leg on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon? I'm just hoping when I'm gonna, it's running and uh, covered uh, in corn dust. And then you have to fight squirrels and raccoons off <laughs> April, and, April 16th. Oh yeah. yeah. Or when it's cold or rainy, like it doesn't matter. I've gotten calls and then I'm like, yeah, the tower's down. I was like, well, it's Sunday afternoon at about four o'clock. I'm going to drive 45 minutes one way, go climb this tower, send a rope down, climb all the way down, tie off the pieces I need or parts I need to fix it, rope it back up. Yeah. Like a tree fort. Do all that. It's oh, yeah, some people, uh, such a pain to maintain. I've had to comment because I have my Starfire collection on my wall in my shed and one person thought I bought every single one of those. <laughs> like, no, no, they're all lightning strikes. <laughs> you know, with the exception of the the three hundred. Yeah. Um, so now that's me personally, and now, you know, now I might have to. I'm going to figure out how to actually purchase a seven thousand <laughs> for my collection. But they'll um, be out of date pretty soon. I'll just give you mine. <laughs> In fact, mine were out of date almost within oh, I don't know, two months. So oh, here we go, seventy five hundred. Yeah. Hey, stop spending so much time in the comment section, Kevin. I appreciate yeah. it. But, but burner account, Kevin. Yes. <laughs> so back to the maintenance. It goes. It's all over the board. It's anywhere from something really simple. Like grandpa flipped the breaker on the grain leg and didn't realize what it was powering. Okay. Simple. Um, or power supply goes bad. Relatively simple. Still usually have to climb it. Yep. Uh, but I, I get all of the uh, work orders when our technicians work on our base stations. And so that's kind of a, it's another challenge is that when, when these base stations go down, typically, you know, it's when go time, you know, and a technician could be working on your planter. Now we're asking him to go climb a tower, climb a tower because that's, he's the only guy available. So I, my favorite one, um, technician out of Wheaton, I got the work order and then his comments were climbed up back up the, the base station, encountered a raccoon. The raccoon did not want to leave. The raccoon wanted to fight. <laughs> I fought, I won, proceeded to climb the, the, the crane leg and yeah. replace the, There's, the yeah. yeah, it's so. And nine times out of 10, when I have to climb a tower, I'll call Chris on my way up and start cursing him out because I hate climbing towers. One, because of the heights, hate heights. Yeah. Which, Cause you're short I mean, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> and two, it's just such, it's so time consuming. Well, that's well, climb a tower. And it's not, this is not meant to be, you know, like poor, nobody feels bad for us, but the, the, the thing with the cost behind maintaining the network and where we're running out of means to maintain is not so much the equipment cost. Like if we have to upgrade a receiver cause a 3000 gets struck by lightning, or if we got to replace the antenna, the equipment cost is not really that big a deal. It's drop in the bucket. The cost is the people that it takes to maintain this network. And the problem is we're already short on people. So when we think like a technician that has to go out and climb that tower, well, the problem is usually those are good technicians that could be fixing your planner in the shop. And instead they got to drive 35 miles out to a base station, fight off raccoons and then fix a base station. Or a lot of times there's not a technician available to do it. And somebody from like the precision support team, we've had times where like Margo had to leave a customer setup, like a 
you know, startup in the field because the tower went down. Uh, yeah, that week uh, we had three, our three autonomous tractor startups all were delayed because of base stations were down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's an opportunity cost. That's really, could we be spending our time maintaining this network when there is newer technology that's easier to use? Because spend that time, or could we be demonstrating the latest technology to people? But people are telling me the big comment we get that frustrates me is that this RTK network phasing out is just a cash grab to get people to buy 7,000s. Well, unfortunately, uh, we actually would make more money off your RTK subscription on your existing receiver than we do from the margin on a new 7,000. Yeah. So in the short term, we're losing, a, well, a significant amount of money yeah. by phasing out of the RTK. Once the RTK network is down, then, uh, you know, but to maintain it for two years while getting people off of it and we're not getting revenue from what it takes that we usually use to fund the maintenance of these towers, we're losing a lot. So it's, so, again, you know, it, it's not poor us. It's just, it's not a cash grab. That's all. We're, yeah. It's going to benefit us in the long run. It should benefit our customers in the long run. Neither of us, I think are going to lose on this thing, but yeah. Well, that's what I look at. So, but I look at it from a farmer's perspective too. So if I'm listening to this and I didn't work at a dealership for a couple of years and, and see some of the costs, maybe I wouldn't understand it as much, right? That's why I tried to make a video, but it didn't seem yeah, to go over. Just, yeah. <laughs> right. I don't think anybody watched it. I think well, because the intro and said, no way. You know, you look at it though as, and I mean, you, you can use any analogy you want. But as a, as a farmer, we look to the dealer and say, well, yeah, the dealer's making plenty of money. They need to do this just to support us. Right. And there are times that I feel like that. Sure. This isn't one of them, Yeah. but this is a huge expense. And you talk about time. It's so hard for you guys to find technicians. I would be very frustrated if I knew that, that a technician that could be out you know, fixing my planter or my combine is climbing a tower because the RTK wasn't working. Like I understand why they have to do that. But on the other hand, it's just a poor use of time. I think we just need to move on. Mm -hmm. The technology is there to move on. Now we just need to do yep. it. It's no different than when I switched to strip till it was like, geez, I really should keep that field elevator because I might need it. The towers are the same way to me. And again, I know that's an unpopular opinion, but from my standpoint, we need the utmost accuracy with what we're doing and we have it and it's so much easier than RTK. I would just encourage people to just ask some more questions. Mm -hmm. And, and every, every person's uh, situation is different. Yeah. And so part of the conversations I've been involved with, with customers is one, you know, the, the pricing of the receivers changed. Mm -hmm. So we're going into conversation it, me as a customer thinking, Hey, I need to buy a new receiver and it's going to cost $13,000 a pop the way it used to be right to be yeah. RTK. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case anymore. Uh, 7,000 is 4,300 bucks. Yep. Yeah. And then there's no extra unlocks above that to get RTK. So yep. that's one. And then just looking at your fleet, some customers I visited with, they had six radio RTK receivers. And we actually had the conversations about what they were using those for. Uh, two of them, they could run on SF1, the free signal, there's Tillis tractor, right? Two of them were used for tiling. You know, that's another uh, situation we'll, we'll get back to. So you just keep those two. You know, they weren't even using them for anything in the field. Yeah. Those are just for a local base station for, for tiling. And then when we got down to it, they really just needed one receiver out of six. Yep. For their planter, then they're going to move that to their combine. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very situational. And if you have questions or you want to yell at me personally, call our support line. Mm -hmm. I'll be there. I'll answer it. 
And if you want to call me a clown, you can just hit the comments <laughs> yeah, section that. That was, on TikTok or Instagram. I'm sorry. I laughed a little bit at that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the vertical part. Okay. It's coming. It, it, the deer's working on it. But so the, the, the complaint is, well, now uh, I'm due ditching or tile work, any, anything with elevation. And I, I need still need to have a, a local base station for that vertical accuracy. Okay. Um, Within two years. <laughs> you will have vertical accuracy on 7,000. Are you, are you going to write that down? Yeah, but the thing is, though, that. is you shouldn't have been using that tower anyway. See, exactly. Yes. <laughs> that's, see, yeah. I mean, I learned that with surface drainage. Like, and, and you know, where I'm from, like the home quarter around my cousin's farm, there's a half a foot of fall in a mile. If you used a base station RTK to try to drain that. Like our base station. It would not work you would have to have that base station in the field with you in order for that to work because vertical is different than horizontal yes the accuracy it's not a 12 mile range no so 12 if theory of operation with rtk radio rtk is the local base station needs to see the same satellites that your tractor receiver is seeing or your vehicle receiver seeing to make a correction offset to be more accurate Horizontal, we can be up to 12 miles away and still get sub-inch. The rule for vertical is 1.2 miles away from the base station, max, to get trustworthy vertical accuracy. Um, I know some guys get by with it on ditching. They can skirt that a little bit. But when you're putting tile on the ground, (laughs) you You kind of want to mess with that. But that's a lot of the comments. We have people that have just flirted with that line or forgot about that rule. And the the solution there is 3,000s are just fine. Dirt cheap too. They're dirt cheap. And 90%, um, I know one of the questions in the comment section was how many of our base stations do we have? Well, at the peak, it was 120. We're actually actively taking a few down now because we're down to nobody. The vast majority of those are 3,000 receivers. Yep. Let us know. If you need one, there's going to be a pile of them. By that time we're done with this network, the 3,000s are going to be very, we're going to have them as stocking stuffers, I think. Yep. The tops, the yellow part might be a little faded by now, but. Nah, minor, oh, yeah. minor details. <laughs> and they'll have like a million hours on them because they constantly <laughs> run year round. But if that's all you're doing, I mean, that, it, that local base station for tiling, it's going to be cheap. It's not, you're not going to have to spend 13 grand for that. Yep. Maybe Andy yeah. Clean will have something to yeah. polish up those. Polish them up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that guy, that guy up in Canada, that deer detailer guy, do you follow him? Oh, yeah. He like shines up people's receivers as part of the detail job. And I'm like, that's detail work right there, buddy boy. (laughs) Dang. Can of spray paint would do it. Yep. (laughs) John Deere yellow. Just peels Rattle can can it. You'll be fine. It's fine. Overspray. (laughs) Everything. (laughs) It's like hell. Yeah. All right. So we talked about some other options. One option is you could set up your own base station. Correct. There's guys that have like a ton of receivers, right? Like, well, I don't want to pay $1,500 for each one of these. So I'm just going to do the home base station. That's fine. And then there, the other option is you go Starfire, right? Mm -hmm. Starfire three. I mean, it's no different than what I said about, about farming practices, right? Whether you strip till no till, like everyone, everyone's going to do it different. Like there's no reason to get mad about it. If, if, if you have 17 receivers and you, raise potatoes up in Becker, Minnesota, and, and you think you need RTK, maybe you do, and maybe you should set up your own. In my case, I don't want to do that, but it may make sense for some of the guys to do it. Yep. You know, I mean. Well, in one of the customer conversations, this came up and we went through the pros and cons. So just think through that before you, you know, spend the money, because it's not just throwing a receiver up there. There's the different style of antenna, uh, low loss coax, depending on how you set it up. But I asked, uh, <clears throat> it was a customer 
the, the dad and his son and said, well, I just, just think through this. Who's going to be the one climbing that grain leg? Cause I, when we interview new people coming on to kibble, <laughs> I always forget. <laughs> Do you like, can you stand heights? One of our interns, uh, we asked, can you handle heights? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine with heights. And then we went to climb one day and he locked up. We're like, wait a minute. We thought you said you're cold heights. I, said, I thought you meant like getting on a stepladder to change a light bulb. <laughs> so anyway, totally back, to different. The, back to this father son, I, I said, you just got to know who's going to be climbing this thing. And the dad looked at the son. He's like, you can't handle a step stool. So, <laughs> so that flipped this, that flipped the conversation. And, and I mean, what's so hard about the technology thing is, is how do you, if you don't keep up with it and you get behind, what does it cost you then? The barrier gets bigger. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, that's always the concern and it's hard to spend the money, but it's generally cheaper to spend the money right away than it is to let it, let, let things kind of settle out. I mean, look at what a 6,000 is worth today. Next year at this time, that 6,000 is probably going to be worth considerably less. So if you had a bunch of 6,000s, now is probably time to get rid of them or sell them or whatever you're going to do. It's just not going to get better, right? Like they're not going to gain in value. Yep. And yep. the 7,000s or 7,500s are not going to get cheaper either. So you, you kind of have to ride that line. Well, and that's, I mean, as, as much as somebody that's not happy about this it hates to hear it, but that's the benefit of us doing this now and kind of just ripping the bandaid off. Like we're getting hammered for this. And that's because we're like the first big dealership to try to jump through the wall on this. But well, my dealership's not doing that. Well, I, I don't know. Odds are they probably will here pretty soon. Once you don't have hardly anyone on a network, there's, there's just no means to maintain it. Like we can't support 120 base stations if we've got like one or two people on each one of them. It just, it, it doesn't make sense for us as a business. That's it. At the end of the day, the, the reason we made this decision is because everybody that we've had transition to 7,000s or even SF3 doesn't look back. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but everybody I've talked to is like, hey, would you go back to the radios? No chance. Mm -mm. No. Yep. So this is from a perspective of cust better customer experience. And at the, by the way, better employee experience too. Yeah. Yeah. Very, that, very much so. I can attest to that. Yeah. We've been lucky. We've, we've had some close calls, but we haven't had anything, any major incidents, but that's a big, big part of this yep. is, oh, we've got places, places that won't even let us climb anymore. Yep. Got from a liability yep, standpoint. Got to hire people to climb that. And so I think we've harped on that enough. That horse is dead and beat. We're done with the RTK. I think we should be done. Just put that to bed. <laughs> Move on to the next thing Move for on to the us next farmers thing. to be mad about. Yeah. There's got to be something else that we oh, can be mad about. Oh, absolutely. There's going to be something this spring. We're making big changes to Reese's peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> See? <laughs> no! What do you think? I think we should wrap it up. Well, thank you, Kevin, for joining us on this podcast. This was, it was, a, a, this was fun. a fun one. This it's is going to be a fun one. All right. Well, let's, let's wrap it up. Please uh, rate this podcast five stars. I'm running low on cash. Oh, that's good. We haven't, we haven't pitched for demo. Wait, or, wait, uh, wait, hold on. How do you split the payment up on that? No, any five star review, I get it. It just goes to It's him. just purely mine because it's just part of my thing. That's part of your contract? Yep. yep. That's how we get them on the podcast. That's the only reason I do that's it. That's how they get you to work for $9 an hour. See, Chris, that's why he's pissed he missed last time. Chris and I, yeah. we're of an older generation. We just, we're just happy with what we got. He's over here aggressively negotiating. Well, you got to do what you got to do. You're Gen Z though. Like, yeah, I am. That's a problem. It is. That's a problem. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Rate the podcast rate, five please. stars. Leave us a nice please. note. I always like to read what people have to think yeah, the in the comment section. Unless it's, it's something it's negative towards me, because I have nothing to gain by this. It, if you have something negative to say, say it to Big Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, if you want to follow us on social media, we are at Kibble Equipment. I am at Kibble Man Sam. Um, I'm at the other Kibble Sam. Uh, you should just be at Boss Man Chris. I'm please, please change days. your handle. Uh, I'll look. I'll find the user guide. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at Horbon X and at Chris Horbon Instagram. Yeah. Oh man. Nah, you. I'm not. Do you want to be an Instagram no social star? Media, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I I love I love social media. I think it's great, but yeah. I'll be honest. I don't even know how to do a TikTok, but I think I should learn because I, I I'm convinced I don't either. <laughs> 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 All right. All right. Let's get out of here. Well, see you later.